Okay. Okay, so finished up Galatians and uh, just kind of prepping and praying about what's next. Uh, so we may have uh, just a little season of spending some time in the Psalms or being led uh, just to maybe some different passages that could be relevant with where we're at as a church right now. But uh, gosh, when was it? Six months ago or something that we finished the Psalm, the first book of the Psalms. And so just kind of picking up at the beginning of book two of the Psalms, which stretches from Psalm 42 through 72. And uh, Jason or Kayla, if you get a chance to just double check if it's recording, there was a little wavelength thing showing, but um, a little concerned that it's it was playing games with me. Uh, no Jeremy tonight. Man, this is like his favorite um, passage and his favorite song. I, I was like, what's that? Okay, so maybe he'll hear it uh, over the, well, I don't think it's going through there. We're good to go. Okay, awesome. Um, so uh, starting out says, kind of the title that I have for this chapter is Yearning for God in the Midst of Distresses. To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Uh, so, ten different psalms were written by the sons of Korah the Levite. Um, it's believed that this guy was of the Levitical family, and he had sons who were singers. And in this chapter, um, it follows Second Samuel 16 when David went into exile after his son Absalom kind of led a rebellion, not kind of, he full-blown led a rebellion against his dad and um, basically attacked Jerusalem to where David had to flee um, east of the city up the Mount of Olives and head out of town, basically. And um, as you read Second Samuel 16, which uh, we studied as we were going through the Psalms last time, um, it was a very hard time for David, just a time that he basically, you know, wanted to give up and end it, you know, uh, his own son leading a coup against his kingdom, and then eventually leading up to a battle that would um, end in his son um, dying, being thrown, uh, being thrown through <laughs> with uh, two spears as he hung by his hair on a branch, um, as his donkey went underneath it and whoosh, uh, <laughs> caught him up there. So very hard season for David, and apparently, and couple different commentaries I was reading. Uh, one of these sons of Korah um, probably was with him in this time of trial, a uh, time where his emotions, David's emotions were aggravated by taunts of enemies, as we'll see uh, Shimei throwing stones and dust down the hill at David and cursing him, saying, it's about time you got what was coming to you as you uh, took the kingdom from my relative Saul. And so um, just a brutally hard time for David and apparently one of these sons of Korah who was there with him. And uh, so I don't know if anyone here tonight is going through a time of distress, um, and this is for you tonight, or if you're going into a time or if you're coming out of a time, you know, we're, we're, we're in there somewhere, going in, we're in the middle, or coming out, right? Uh, so verse 1 um, Owen, will you read verse 1 for us? Okay, so uh, what a wonderful picture this is. You know, just nice uh, poetry, nice art here. Um, I was kind of teasing because I remember when Jeremy was in my core group as kind of an icebreaker once. Maybe Paul was there too. 
I uh, just said, let's go around. What's your guys' favorite worship song, you know? And uh, I just remember, it always stuck with me that Jeremy's was the, as the deer that um, Kristen and Eric sang tonight. And uh, so what a beautiful picture, though. Uh, as the deer pants uh, for a water brook, so pants my soul for you, oh God. The word pants there, um, it means to long for, to crave from a state of exhaustion. And, you know, as David and maybe uh, the sons of Korah were there, um, Korah were definitely there, uh, but perhaps being influenced by David as he spent so much time hiding from Saul in the area of En Gedi, which is uh, where he would spend time in caves. He would spend times by watery brooks. And as you go to Israel today, you go up this little, this canyon, really, this En Gedi Canyon with beautiful streams. I mean, it is an oasis in the middle of the desert. And uh, David writes about the wild deer that are there. And it's really cool because there's all these caves. And you know that one of these caves was the cave that um, Saul was in going to the bathroom when David cut the piece of the garment off. You know, so you're like, one of these ones here. Uh, And then you'll see, even to this day, wild deer. And David writes about the rock badger. And there's all these little rock badgers. And the deer are like the size of, you know, a golden retriever. They're about that big. They're really small. Um, but I remember my pastor, Rob, talking about the, the deer. Uh, he was there having a quiet time one day in En Gedi and uh, watched a deer sc- scurry down out of the rocks and come down and just, you know, just uh, drink uh, and, and pant for the water and coming to drink. Um, I was over at uh, Joe and Courtney. Uh, Papanaw's house uh, on Monday and we were moving cows up in the mountains and um, as we were moving about half the herd took off to the right and so I went off after them and uh, as we went over this little ridge and dropped down uh, there was a water trough right there in the middle of this um, plateau and there were about 12 cows (laughs) and their calves just I mean it was a 97 degree day you know and they're all just out there in the heat with their black skin, <laughs> black fur, and just, cr- I mean, just, and, you know, just riding up on them, just, it was all I could do, hooting and hollering to get them to move on and to, to get going again, and uh, just reminded me of this as well, um, just this deep craving, as um, the psalmist says in 63, 1 and 2, Russell, will you read what comes up here on the screen, Psalm 63, 1 and 2? It's up there, you can just read it. Okay, so this, those two verses tie together so well with the chapter we're in tonight. Um, my soul thirsts for you. I'm kind of thirsty right now, actually. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'd like six pieces of pizza before. I'm not, I'm not hinting at anything easy. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm actually thirsty right now. And so I'm, I'm feeling this chapter coming alive right now. Uh, but there is a soul thirst. And not only that, a flesh longing. Uh, like going through a dry and thirsty land or a weary land where there's no water. Um, another, and, and so, verse 2 says, so, what does he want to do with that soul thirst? Go look for the Lord in the sanctuary. And you guys are here on a Wednesday night, you know, and so there's some level of soul thirst for you guys. I think that's why you're here. And so you can, you can, um, you can relate to where he's at. 
And Max, will you read Psalm 84 too? It's the next one on there. So a soul thirst, a soul longing, yes, even fainting for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of the Lord. So I will seek him in his sanctuary. Oh, that the Lord would grow that in us, like not just in us, but in our church. Um, man, there's a few blessings that you have as a parent. And I was downstairs studying, I think Tuesday night, and um, I heard Russell and Lainey upstairs. Mom wasn't home yet from work, and Titus wasn't back yet. And Russell and Lainey had worship music going through the TV, and they were just worshiping and singing the Lord. That was on their own initiative, and just turned it on, you know, and just so neat to see a nine-year-old and a six-year-old having some of that soul longing happen at such a young age, thirsting for the courts of the Lord. Uh, I've read a couple books lately where men find themselves in a place of intense thirst like this. Uh, one of them, I'd mentioned it a couple weeks ago, it's now a Hollywood movie actually, In the Heart of the Sea. Great movie if you guys haven't seen it yet, about a whaling ship that gets uh, wrecked, kind of the Moby Dick story. Um, and these guys are out on these little life boats with no water. And, you know, just the degree of the historical account of their thirst and what is going through their mind and what their bodies are experiencing is they're just, oh, just want, just need a drop of rain to come and just, you know, um, just, I'm parched. Or uh, I'm also reading, um, a book right now called Killing Lincoln, and it's the story basically that leads right up, final days of the Civil War, right up to Lincoln's assassination. And it talks about the Confederates' final retreat slash advance and how they're trying to get away so they can maybe get some food. And, I mean, they're, they're at the end of their army. They're at the end of their, their camp. Like, it's just, I mean, just one little thing happens, and, and General Lee is going to have to surrender. And as he's getting the Confederate army to just try to be able to regroup, they're traveling over 100 miles in cold and rain and with no shoes and no food. And he's just writing about how these soldiers are starving and they're slipping off into the forest to try to find a morsel to eat. Many of them just don't come back because there's no point, like the war's over. Um, but it writes about the thirst and the hunger cravings of these Confederate soldiers. And so uh, just some of these things were in front of my mind as uh, I was reading this passage. So, hey, Lane Lane, why don't you go and sit in your own chair, okay? That way you're not distracting. All right. Um, I like what Matthew Henry writes. A gracious soul can take little satisfaction in God's courts if it does not meet with God himself there. And so just thinking about, you know, what percentage of our body maybe has no desire to be at a Wednesday night and no desire to be at a core group and no desire to be in any private communion with the Lord in private worship times. And maybe it's because even when they come to these times, they're not meeting with the Lord here. There's a whole lot going on and there's many people who are meeting with the Lord, but they themselves maybe honor the Lord with the lips, but their hearts are far from him. And I think it's just something, we don't know who that is and maybe it's, you know, fewer than we would, but just to pray as a body that, that our church, Calvary Chapel of Crook County, would, would come to a place where we have soul thirst, soul longings, even fainting for the presence of the Lord, both privately and publicly. Amen. 
Has anyone here ever experienced that yet? You know, I think you guys have that soul longing. So, um, verse 2. Lainey, can you read verse 2 up there? I think it's easy for you to read. Let's see. Can you read that little verse right there? You can't. Okay, it's too much. Too much. Can't handle it. Uh, Josh, hit it, brother. I don't know if you guys noticed. We're going that way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, so this is from our text tonight. Again, he doubles it up. My soul thirsts for the living God. Soul thirst. It reminds me of John 4 when Jesus met the woman at the well there in Samaria. And she, uh, uh, the account is that uh, Jesus says to this woman at the well, give me a drink down in verse 7 of John 4. And she says in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says, do you give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so we see Jesus kind of bringing to fulfillment what this soul thirst finds its apex in. That it's in Jesus and it's in the presence of the Holy Spirit who later on in John 7 we see that Jesus will give the Holy Spirit as torrents of living water are poured out. And then later on in verse 13 of John chapter 4 Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so that is just, that is almost a Davidic Psalm 42 or a son of Korah. You know, it just, it's bringing it about. Living water. Uh, never thirsting again. This is what David or the sons of Korah, this is what they're writing about. We want this drink. We want this, we want our soul thirst quenched. And we see that it's found in the person of the Holy Spirit in the person and work of Jesus. And what does the woman say to Jesus at the end of this account? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. My soul thirsts. She's like, there's something deeper. There's a deeper thirst here. My soul, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst. Maybe we would pray that tonight where you're at just tonight. Sir, call Jesus a sir. That's kind of cool, huh? Sir, <laughs> Give me some water that I may not thirst. And then we see that she ends up running out and telling all her friends and family and the community about this and brings them back to hear more about it. Um, John 6.35, Blainster. Oh, maybe I didn't put it on there. Okay, sorry, buddy. Sometimes I don't, but I, I skip. Um, Jesus just says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Um, Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. We have that one? Okay. Man, I must have, like, been in a bit of a coma when I took... <laughs> so this one says... Isaiah 12, you guys can flip there if you get a chance. It says, in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. I'll just kind of read this part as you guys are turning there. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. 
behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. You maybe know a song like that. But then it says, therefore, so because the Lord is my salvation, because he's my strength and song, because he's been my salvation, he says it twice, therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So part of this quenching aspect of the gospel is coming to salvation in Jesus uh, is like drawing waters from the wells of salvation. Then it just says, and in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, and make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he's done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. And the reason I wanted to read that is, our quenching of our soul thirst doesn't just end with us. It's really cool to come back to the Psalms and to just see this repeated over and over again, that all of the blessings of God to us go out towards the nations. And we see that in Isaiah. Um, as, our, as we draw waters from the wells of salvation, then we declare his deeds among the people, and we make mention his name, and then it says, all the earth will have it known. Um, Got to put this couple. Would you mind setting that down on the stairs? Not quite sure how I ended up with it. Um, <laughs> so there's some neat, just two verses at the beginning of our passage here tonight, where the son of Korah makes mention of a that soul thirst and soul longing. And I like what Matthew Henry says because in just a minute in this psalm, David is. I keep saying David, but it's son of Korah. So forgive me if I keep saying David. Um, the son of Korah is going to just get into all of his problems in life and all of the turmoils that he's going through. And I like what Henry said. Before the psalmist records his doubts and fears and griefs, which are sorely shaking him, he says this, that he looks to the living God as all that he longs for and has set his heart upon him and was resolved to live and die by him. And then this is what I love. And casting anchor, thus at first, he rides out the storm. So first two verses, it's almost like the son of Korah is casting out an anchor so that as he writes about all the tough stuff in life, it all comes back to, but you know what? I'm anchored deep in just my God and who he is. So let's get into some of this tough turmoil. Uh, Jess, will you read verse 3 of our psalm tonight? So the thirsty man will drink anything, apparently. Here he's drinking his tears. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he's going through these times of turmoil where it's just constant emotional wreck. And I don't know if you guys have ever been there, you know, where it's just turmoil and weeping and, in a sense, you're just eating your tears. Um, he speaks about it later on in Psalm 80, verse Five. But in the midst of it all, he's got these enemies of his that are shouting out, where is your God? And it's believed that this is a reference to Shimei as David is leaving Jerusalem in the midst of his son's attack. And that Shimei is there is throwing and just saying like, curse, you know, God's basically left you and he's given the kingdom back um, to, who it right, uh, to someone else because it doesn't belong to you. 
But does this remind you guys of anything? What comes to your mind when you read a phrase like, while they continually say to me, where is your God? What's that? Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus on the cross. Um, And there's a couple times tonight as we're in our psalm that your mind will probably flash to the cross and flash to Psalm 22, which is the psalm of the cross. Like in Psalm 22, verse 8. Barb, will you read this one? So that's prophetic um, from David of what the son of David would go through. People jeering at him, uh, saying basically, where's your God? If your God delights in you, why isn't he here rescuing, rescuing you? And it's interesting that there on the cross, while all this is happening, Delina, will you read John 19, 28? And so here we have Jesus on the cross. And, and what's going on for him? <laughs> He's thirsty. He's thirsty on the cross, and people are jeering at him, saying, Filling, fulfilling prophecy, where's your God? You know, let, let the Lord deliver you if you're such a big part of God's plan and the Son of God. Why don't you just have angels come, you know? And, uh, and so what I love is that the scriptures are Christ-centric. You know, in a, man, as you read the Psalms, you see so often uh, that they're pointing towards Jesus. Verse 4 of our text tonight. Uh, Johnny, will you read that? Okay, so he's remembering all these things. He's pouring out his soul before the Lord. What a great place to be when you're in a place of turmoil and drinking your tears and people are, uh, you know, afflicting you. Uh, to go and pour your soul out uh, within me or pour your soul out to the Lord. But then listen to that phrase. I used to go with the multitude. I went, these are all past tense. I went with them. To the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept a and kept a pilgrim feast. And so David, or uh, you know, sons of Korah who are with David, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the place of the sanctuary. They're leaving the place of worship where they would gather together and worship. And now, in in the turmoil, he's he's outside now of the place of being able to go and fellowship with the multitude. And so, it's a good word for us, that when we're at a place where people are saying, where is his God? And a place where we're in a place of dryness, that so often can be the same time that we're stolen away from fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Where we're not pouring out our soul before the Lord in the midst of the congregation. You might underline this with your pen if you've got one. Where he says, I used to go in with the multitude. I think it's just such an encouragement to us that he did not relate to the Lord in past tense. I mean, I, part of my story, as you guys all know, you know, high school and revivals and just incredible things happening. And times in college were more revival type things. And, and man, there's seasons where you kind of want to rest in that. And you kind of want to, ah, the good old days. And you kind of end up like, what is that, Napoleon Dynamite, Uncle Rico, or what's the guy's name, you know, who's like this, foot, you know, he's, he's probably 35 or 40, and he's still living in a van down by the river, trying to live out his high school football glory days, you know, and he's filming his, you know, oh, 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 you know, just let me in, coach, or I'm like quoting a bunch of different movies there, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to execute a button hook pattern, and super, anyways, um, 
and in all of that he's living in the past and everyone says you're a joke you know live now and it's the same with us like don't have it be I used to go in with the multitude then of course in David's case he didn't have much of a choice but today in our day and especially where we're at in modern day America we certainly have a choice and Hebrews 10:24, in response to the gospel and our washing and regeneration, it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And so we have a multitude there, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Oh man, you guys, and as I read this verse 4 tonight and this afternoon, it, it almost was like a, uh, a flashing neon sign to me. And actually, in my notes, I've got all these different colors highlighting different things about it that are parts of this verse. And, and it almost is even in my notes, like a giant neon orange and green and, and pink and blue sign. And why is it like that? Because I grieve. And maybe you guys will just grieve with me. And maybe we'd be able to, to just move to prayer tonight later on about this. That how David longed to be back to where he could fellowship with the multitude. In the sanctuary with his brothers and sisters. And a grief for me. Which I can only imagine is just a a small portion of the grief of the Lord is that his people don't want to meet with him. And his people don't want to meet as a church. And they don't want to gather with the multitudes. And they don't see the value in it. And they don't hear the imperatives like in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And a pastor can preach it and preach it and preach it and we can have membership classes where we preach it and we say do you understand that God is calling us to be together regularly to continue in the pattern of the early church where they gave themselves assiduously to the gathering together daily regularly and you know there's no amount of forcing or coercing or whatever that can do that, it's got to be a work of the Spirit. Just as in Hebrews, the author doesn't just get into that and lay a big guilt trip on people and say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He prefaces it with about 10 verses of gospel, about being regenerated, about being washed in the blood, and about having access into the Holy of Holies by the blood of our great high priest. And then we got core group leaders in here, we got friends of friends in here, and guys, we've got to be calling our friends to the assembling of ourselves together it says let us not forsake it as is the manner of some and that was written in a day when people probably had a pretty legitimate excuse to forsake it especially the hebrews that were being written to in hebrews chapter 10 who were being persecuted ostracized from their communities if they were going to church they were getting kicked out of their families written out of their families wills and what is our excuse it's I just don't want to be there. And I have had so many conversations with people. And I think that, I'm not feeling like it's really for anyone here tonight. If it's in the recording and someone gets to hear it, I just pray the Spirit will use it in a recording. Or, or maybe just through our interactions. But 
strong exhortations with people in our body to be, to, oh, if you could just, oh, just value the assembling of ourselves together as the Lord values it. If you could see the value in it as the sons of Korah valued it. But the grievous thing is, is that in our body we have people who miss Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and make no attempt to make Wednesday or core group and then you wonder why their marriage is absolutely failing to the 15th degree. They don't love their wives. Their kids in their house are in complete disarray. They have no passion for God. They have no private devotional life. They have no accountability. There's no encouragement. They feel isolated. They feel, you know, and it's just like, man, just don't see the value in the assembling of ourselves together. And so my heart is grieved in that. There's a lot in it. And we can just be praying tonight. We're going to pray tonight in a little bit for our church. That, um, and, you know, and tonight is it's just a small night, and that's okay. And how exciting what God's been doing on Wednesday nights. I mean, we've had such a great turnout on Wednesday nights. It's so exciting. Uh, so it's not even it's not anything going on here or tonight or anything, but, you know, you guys aren't in the counseling meetings that we are in, you know. And, and you're not in the things that we see and and just one of the things that we see that helps bring about, it's, a, it's a, an avenue of grace in people's lives is the attending of ourselves together. And so to quote this again, you know, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. I've got, I'm thirsty, I'm longing, I long for the Lord. I have a soul thirst for the Lord. And you know, people don't want to be here because they don't have a soul thirst for the Lord. Oh, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. It says it was with the voice of joy and praise. And man, isn't it exciting on like Sundays when there's a lot of people here and just the spirit is moving and he's leading us in songs together and you just tell the spirit is just synced our hearts and we're just, ah! <laughs> you know, and there's just these songs of joy and praise. I was, I posted it on Facebook as the psalmist says in 122.1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. I wasn't begrudged. I wasn't bummed. I wasn't, oh, I gotta go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Holy Spirit, work a gladness in our body to go to the house of the Lord. I know that's in you guys tonight. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown writes, the recollection of this season of distress will give greater zest to the privileges of God's worship when obtained. He, you know, David's going through a period of almost like involuntary fasting from the house of the Lord through the distresses that he's going through. And it, it almost adds a, I like that, zest. Not like lemony stuff that you scrape off onto your desserts or something. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, he just wants to be in the house of the Lord right now. And forgive me for quoting some of these guys so much tonight, but I like Matthew Henry. Uh, he had three different things that he wrote in this huge commentary, and everything I underlined started with the word note. So he had three different things that he said note, and I was like, oh, 
I want to note that. And I want you guys to note it too. Note. Sometimes God teaches us effectually to know the worth of mercies by the want of them and whets our appetite for the means of grace by cutting us short in those means. We are apt to loathe that manna when we have plenty of it, which will be very precious to us if we ever come to know the scarcity of it. Did you guys catch that? We are apt to loathe the manna when we have plenty of it, which will be very precious to us if ever we come to know the scarcity of it. Hey, Russell, don't do that, bud. You can listen. All right, note, those that are deprived of the benefit of public ordinances constantly miss them and therefore should constantly mourn for the want of them till they are restored to them again. Fred, speak real quick to being in Senegal and not having, not being able to go to the assembling together of the saints. Just how do you feel when you remember that? Do you guys hear that? We would have traveled for hours just to go to a Wednesday night like this. Just, it's got to be the Lord that does that, though. I think we just need to move to prayer for our body that not everyone can make a Wednesday night, but core groups or, or just being together and even just fellowshipping with one another throughout the week. With a multitude, Henry says, this added to the pleasure of it, to be in the house of the Lord, but then also to be there with a bunch of people Henry says, he was accompanied with a multitude, adding to the pleasure of it. Therefore, he twice mentions it. That's something I had in neon in my notes was, with a multitude, with a multitude. How wonderful to gather with the multitude. Verse 5. Russell, why don't you read this? I want to include you again. And so he's cast down. There's a couple kind of fallen points in his psalm. Cast down and disquieted cast down means it's like he's disintegrated and melted away and the word disquieted in hebrew it's the word it's spelled like h-m-h i think is how you would pronounce that and it means to make a noise or a tumultuous roar or a moan i mean he is just in total despair here he's disquieted and yet he tells himself Hope in God. Wait and, and hope in God. And it's interesting, and we don't have time to read it tonight, but Romans 8, 19 through 27 talks about how we right now in these tents are groaning and eagerly groaning and waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. We're waiting for his kingdom come. And all of creation is in that place. And in that, it, then it goes on, it, it goes from groaning to hoping. Like, why do we hope for what we have? No, when we hope for what we don't have, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, Romans 8 says. And so I just think it's interesting that Romans 8 almost follows this psalm of like groaning and just being disquieted. And I'm just not content here on this earth. I want the Lord to come and and just once and for all deal with the problem of suffering and the bondage of depravity. Uh, You know, like, Lord, come. Lord, come come and I hope for you to come I can't wait for you to come I'm and the language is that even the trees and the beasts of the field and all the people it, it, the language is that they are standing on their tiptoes and craning their neck groaning and waiting for him to come and 
That's where the psalmist is at. Hope in God. And we who are filled with the Spirit, Romans 8 would said, sometimes we don't even know. We're just groaning, and, and it says even the Spirit is groaning within ourselves, and He helps us pray because we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we just groan, and that's okay, and the psalmist did it. He says, for I shall yet praise him with the help of his countenance. Guys, I found a nugget in my studying, just one. That's, something, that's a phrase we might pass by, I yet shall praise him for the help of his countenance. But check this out. He's, di- he's downcast, right? He's groaning, he's waiting and he's hoping. And then he says, I'm going to praise you for the help of your countenance. Guess what the word help is in Hebrew? Yeshua which is the name Joshua or Yeshua, which is the name Jesus in Aramaic. So in a sense, why are you cast down my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Oh, there's turmoil. I'm groaning. Hope in God. I'll praise him for Jesus. Salvation. Joshua. The, the, the salvation or victory or the savior, the act of salvation, the deliverance, that, of course, we know is fulfilled in Jesus, Yeshua. And it's the help of his face or of his countenance. And that's, a, that's the quote from a priestly prayer there, that the Lord would cause his face to shine upon you. And that has its fulfillment in the Messiah, in Jesus, in Yeshua. Verse 6 goes into more dejection described. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. There's again that downcast, cast down. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mizor. I'm cast down, so I remember your faithfulness from the valleys from Mount Hermon, which is only mountain in Israel that has snow. It's up in north. It's almost on the border of Syria. It's where the, uh, a lot of the Jordan River comes down from out of there. Um, the, the winds come off of there and go flowing down into uh, see a Galilee and cause the waves that Jesus experienced there. Um, but then there's the little hill that's mentioned, and even to the plains uh, as well, or the area of the Jordan in the river valley there. Verse 7, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Sounds like a prayer of Jonah here in the midst of, he says almost the same exact phrase Jonah does as he's in the, uh, as he writes of his time in the whale, in the whale, whale. Um, but as I read this, I see this as actually a good thing, the noise of the waterfalls and the waves of the Lord billowing over me. Most commentaries I read were talking about how this is all sorrows and stuff going over him, but I, and when I'm reading it, I'm seeing, um, and it's the Lord's waves and in his mercies and his compassion. And just one thing that causes me to think of that is in Revelation where it says that his voice is of the sound of many waters. Um, and so I could be wrong on that, but just he, here he is. He's sorrowful. He certainly has waves of emotions going on, but in the presence of the Lord, the Lord's waves watch over, wash over us. Verse eight, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So two things, we have a daytime thing happening and a nighttime thing happening. In the daytime, the Lord is commanding loving kindness over me in the daytime. Loving kindness speaks of loyal love, loyalty, faithfulness, goodness, favor of the Lord. 
and it's commanded. It kind of reminds me of the, the uh, Roman soldier who said, Lord, just command that my servant be healed. And even from a distance, you're able to do that. And the Lord for us is able to just command loving kindness, that loyal love over us. But in the night, there will be a song with me. Uh, oh, and I want you to get to read again, buddy. Psalm 149, 5 through 6. And so isn't that kind of neat, you know, this, these bedtime prayers and worship things that are going on? I don't know if any of you have that, certainly lacking in my bedtime <laughs> uh, time sometimes. And uh, when I came up the other day when the kids were worshiping, um, Lainey just was like, Dad, we had the worship going, and I was in on my bed just doing this to the Lord on my bed. And it was in the afternoon. But um, that's the one thing I'll let you guys talk about at night when I'm trying to get you to go to bed, Russell. You guys can sing songs to Jesus when you're trying to go to sleep. Quit talking in there. I'm praising Jesus. Okay. Here's a verse that came to my mind about this. Um, it's Psalm 92, 1 and 2. And I have a dear friend named Tom Ewers from Corvallis. He's an elder at the church there. Uh, he came and spoke at our retreat here about four years ago, maybe five years ago now. Kind of a mentor of mine. And we kind of had this thing that whenever I'd see him, I'd say, hey, Tom, what's the good word? You know, he just always, he was in the word that morning, and he just always had something that he was like chewing on, and he'd always just have something, just, do you know Tom Ewers? Yeah, he'd speak into my life. You know Tom Ewers? All right, yeah, so you guys know who we're talking about. Um, and, and I'll never forget this one word that he said. He just quotes it, Psalm 92, 1 and 2, Rory it's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And then he really emphasized this. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. And then Tom said, in the morning, Rory, you ponder the loving kindness of God. And in the evening, you've seen those loving kindnesses having been worked out over your life and his faithfulness throughout the day and you're able to rejoice in it as you go to bed at night. And you know, there I was, probably 23 years old in our old, old, old church office building and I can remember it to this day like it happened yesterday, the verse that he quoted and the word, the good word for that day. And so uh, that, that psalm came to my mind. Verse nine of our text. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Any, anything come to mind there as we read that? Say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That comes to your mind? Cool. Awesome. That's pretty cool. So, who else? Someone said Jesus over here? About Jesus on the cross again? Why have you forsaken me or why have you forgotten me? At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22 again, I told you we'd go back uh, to that. But you know what he says on the cross, uh, on the Psalm of the cross? He says, starts out like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? This is all picture of Jesus. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season, and am not silent. So interesting, the parallels there. Hopefully you guys see it as well too. Uh, verse 10. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Remind you guys of anything? The cross again and, and the Psalm 22. 
Psalm 22, 7 and 8. Um, Dustin, you want to read this Psalm 22? Oh, did I not do it? I might have jumped too. Okay, I'll read this one. Uh, All those who see me ridicule me. This is David prophesying of Jesus. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But then the Psalms also said about that broken bones or shattered bones. And Psalm 22, 14 says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. In Psalm 22, 17, I count all my bones. They look at me. They stare at me. They divide my garments and for my clothing, they cast lots. And so we just have all of this fulfilled in Jesus, the truly innocent one going through, living out the Psalm uh, prophecy fulfilled. Uh, Verse 11, last verse. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Night greens, love you guys. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Does that sound familiar yet? Second time it's been said in this psalm. Disquiet, by the way, what a great word to start using. It's not quiet. (laughs) It's like, "Ah!" why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I like that hope in God. Second time he says that there, and it reminds me of um, in 1 Samuel 36, 30 verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But listen to this real quick. You were in my core group on Friday. My buddy Josh Bryant from Burns was in my core group. He was here last week, and he just talked to us and encouraged us men about spending time strengthening ourselves in the Lord. And that just ministered to me. It reminded me of David and reminded me, I used to remember that David used to do that. Um, And so here we have David strengthen himself in the Lord his God in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And that's what the son of Korah is doing here. Hope in God. Strengthen yourself in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So he's going to praise the Lord And then again, it's that word help, Yeshua, Yeshua, Joshua, or Jesus, the deliverer, the salvation, the victory, the savior. It says he will praise the savior and my God, my countenance uh, and my God. Now it's interesting, just last thing here. There's a distinction from verse five that's almost the exact same verse in verse 11. Um, Verse 11 says, the help of my countenance and my God. And verse 5 says, the help of his countenance. And so it's like by the end of this psalm, the son of Korah has applied it to himself. He's come to Yeshua, the salvation, and, and made it personal. And so uh, we'll close there. We can get the guitars and things like that. And 